Brown Girl Radiance celebrates the brilliance of women of color through reflective conversations and stories. I'm your host, Pure Brown Joy. Hello to all of my radiant friends. We are back with more of the Michelle Obama Becoming Book Club. Throughout this season, I will be talking to a diverse, brilliant, dynamic group of women. I sat down with my dear friend, Kanithia, for this episode. You will hear us using a lot of quotes from the book because the text is so rich and we didn't want to misquote our forever first lady. During our conversation, we highlight each of the three portions of the book, Becoming Me, Becoming Us, and Becoming More. Enjoy. So I'm very excited. Just want to say welcome uh, to Kanithia, who you all might recognize from season one. Uh, Recognize her voice, I should say, from season one. Uh, Very excited to have her back for season two. Happy to be there. (laughs) As we are going to uh, continue discussing uh, the Becoming book. So let's just jump right in. Let's go. All right. So um, in the first episode, we discussed um, the section of the book titled Becoming Me. And um, it gives you a lot of insight into Michelle's like earlier years, right up into the point um, where she started dating Barack. Mm -hmm. And so I just wanted to ask you what portion of the Becoming Me section of the book resonated with you and were there any lessons that you took away from that section absolutely you know one of the things that really stands out in my mind is the story michelle told about middle c yes and that just left such an impression upon me because she described how middle c always brought her back to her center And as soon as I read that, the story that immediately came to my mind is an interaction I had with my mother Mm. on the phone. Mm. And I was talking with her, and, um, you know, God is so good. God has blessed me to be able to work at a very successful company. And so I'm having this conversation with my mom, and I'm telling her something about work, you know, (laughs) probably ranting a bit. (laughs) And uh, in the middle of the conversation, my mom says, wow. And I sat back on the couch kind of puzzled because I'm like, wow, what is she talking about? I hadn't said anything incredibly over the moon or extraordinary. And uh, so I asked her, I said, Mom, what do you mean? Wow. She said, as you were growing up, I couldn't afford to take you to the place where you work now, but you still found your way there. Mm. And that right there brought me back to my center. And sometimes I think uh, we forget those little things that could really just bring everything back into focus Mm -hmm. and remind you exactly of where you need to be. I love that. That's like a beautiful like story of connectivity. And um, yeah, I I really enjoyed that story as well. Um, And so when I like when I read that story, it made me think of a couple things. Um, the first one is that you know when it comes to family, uh, even though you might have some moments of contention, um, which she talked about a lot yes. <laughs> with Aunt Robbie. Yes. Uh, but ultimately, like when you need them, they're going to be there for you. Mm-hmm. So, um, so it's a great story. If you haven't read the book, I, I think you'll definitely enjoy it. Um, another thing um, I also thought about like the revelation that she had sitting there basically um, 
she had been learning on a broken instrument. Yeah. And so when she encountered a pristine grand piano, she didn't even know how to approach mm. it. And I think that, you know, we've all had some form of this in our lives, like where you're doing things one way and then you realize through being exposed to something else or something more um, that it's actually the way it's supposed to be. And so, you know, historically speaking, now to get real deep, (laughs) uh, I like the piano story also made me think about like disparities in education and how when schools were segregate were segregated excuse me um black schools used to get old mm. like used books mm-hmm. and so i'm sure the first time that they saw a brand new book at a school like after desegregation it was probably a similar realization like oh this is how it's supposed to be yeah right so and i think that's one of the reasons why it's so important i can't stress it enough so important to find ways to give back and uh, yes. some people get a little anxious <laughs> when they hear, you know, giving back, like, yes. oh, you know, because they think dollar signs. Yeah. And, and that can be. It can right. be one way to give back. But um, giving back can also look like serving. It could yes. also look like volunteering. It could also look like taking the time to mentor. Um, but you, over time, become the things that you are exposed to, right. which is why it's so important to just I- expand your boundaries and take the, the cap off of where you think your ceiling is. Um, because those are the things that will kind of help you when you think about your direction and where you want to go in your life. Um, and it's hard to visualize those things if you haven't seen it yet. So always, always, always so important to give back. I I agree, agree 100%. And, like, I think, too, like, Aunt Robbie, you know, through her piano lessons, like, you know, you could see she was actually impacting the community, even though mm-hmm. there may have been a small fee, but still, like, yeah. the fact that, you know, she was pouring into that next generation and holding them to a high standard Absolutely. and um, even the venue that she was able to book I love how Michelle says I have no idea like how she was able to get this university yes. for <laughs> you know for our recital each year yeah. but I think even that you know letting these small children be able to step foot onto like you know a university campus and what you know what seeds that probably could have even planted in them so absolutely yeah so like you said mentoring or even you know tutoring or even just could be music lessons swim lessons just so many ways to to serve our community so love that any anything else that you uh, that impacted you from the becoming me section I also like the part where Michelle talks about how her mother uh, brought everything into focus when R- Michelle told her mom about her math teacher and how <laughs> she just could not stand her math teacher. And what Michelle's mom said was, but that woman's got the kind of math in her head that mm-hmm. you need in yours. Focus on that and ignore the rest. And I was like, man, (laughs) when I read that, you know, um, I could think back to a time where uh, life really hit me in the head like, oh, yeah, that's what I'm supposed to be doing in this moment. You know, and one of the biggest lessons I learned in leadership as well is another leader who actually told me, uh, take the best and forget the rest. Mm. Because all throughout life, you're going to see examples of what you want to be. Um, and sort of your heroes, and then you're going to see examples of what you absolutely should not try to imitate and and, um, and copy yourself after. And so you take on the things that you can learn and that you can gain from, and then the other things that 
really aren't going to be beneficial to anybody, including yourself, you leave those there. And I thought that was just such a great lesson. Yeah, absolutely. I think it definitely builds character. Yes. Like, no matter where you're at, whether it's a teacher, professor, a co-worker, yes. a, a boss, a leader. Um, so, yeah, just really being able to take, like, what you can from that situation. And can I just say, I feel like that quote, like, that's so old school. Like, growing up, for the most part, I feel like, in general, like, our our parents really, you know, taught us to respect your teachers. And even though you might not like all of them, but at the end of the day, like, they're there serving a purpose. Absolutely. Um, and in my family in particular, I will say most of my family, like, most of my aunts were educators. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, definitely <laughs> place that, that value on, um, again, being respectful and and also, um, you know, having that gratitude really mm-hmm. for, for how they're pouring into you. So, yes great example there. So we will move on uh, to the Becoming Us section, which (laughs) there was was so much, (laughs) so much to unpack there. I think it's, you know, a very captivating part of the book where we go on a journey with Michelle and Barack from right after their first kiss (laughs) um, to when he's elected as the president of the United States. So that's a lot of ground uh, to cover. And I feel like there's so much transparency in it um, from the long-distance relationship, which I discussed in the first episode, uh, to when they get married, to their journey to become parents. Um, There are so many dimensions. And Michelle even speaks candidly about the point in their marriage where they start going to couples counseling, when Barack's political career and abundant traveling was starting to take a toll on their relationship. Mm -hmm. And she says, I'm I'm just going to quote it here. Um, She says, at home, our frustrations began to rear up often and intensely. Barack and I loved each other deeply, but it was as if at the center of our relationship, there was suddenly a knot we couldn't loosen. Barack was reluctant at first to try couples counseling. He was accustomed to throwing his mind at complicated problems and reasoning them out on his own. Sitting down in front of a stranger struck him as uncomfortable, if not a tad dramatic. (laughs) Couldn't he just run over to Borders and buy some relationship books? Shout out to Borders, y'all. Okay. (laughs) Weren't there discussions we could have on our own? But I wanted to really talk and really listen and not to do it late at night or during hours we could be together with the girls. The few people I knew who tried couples counseling and were open enough to talk about it said that it had done them some good. And so, you know, just in reading that and and reading that journey, um, it it made me realize, you know, in 2008, when President Obama accepted the Democratic nomination for president, we didn't see their road to get to that point. We only saw the highlight reel. We didn't see the fact that Michelle didn't even want Barack to be a politician, Mm -hmm. like from the beginning, um, even when he was just at the state level. Um, as a legislator. And then when he decided to run for U.S. Senate, they literally had to have a village meeting, which was all their close friends, confidants, mentors, after he lost the congressional election. So um, just really loved, again, that transparency and, um, and also that she shared as a result of attending the counseling, 
it made her realize that she was in charge of her happiness and that it didn't come from a need for Barack to quit politics. Mm -hmm. Um, She says, this was my pivot point, my moment of self-arrest. Like a climber about to slip off an icy peak, I drove my axle into the ground. That isn't to say that Barack didn't make his own adjustments. Counseling helped him see the gaps in how we communicated. And he worked to be better at it. But I had mine. They helped me, which then helped us. For starters, I recommitted myself to being healthy. And so then Michelle talks about how she was able to start working out again um, with the help of her mom watching the girls um, early in the morning so that she could go work out at 5 a.m., And um, when she talked about that, it really resonated with me as well, because um, this year I've been on my own personal wellness journey. Which is great. Thank you. Um, And what I found is that my happiness is not, like, linked to a certain weight. In fact, when I first started working out, like, I told myself I'm not trying to, like, get to a certain weight. I really just want a healthier lifestyle. And so I can say, you know, I definitely feel good. And I'm always happy when I'm able to get in those workouts. And also, of course, you know, eating um, healthy. So was there anything else that stood out to you about uh, Michelle's resolve after they went to counseling? Yes, I also thought it was important to note, uh, she says, when it came to the home for dinner dilemma, Mm -hmm. I installed new boundaries, one that worked better for me and the girls. Mm -hmm. We made our schedule and stuck to it. Dinner each night was at 6.30, baths were at 7 o'clock, followed by books, cuddling, and lights (laughs) out at 8 o'clock sharp. The routine was ironclad. And for me, this made so much more sense than holding off dinner or having the girls wait up sleepily for a hug. Finally, she says, I didn't want them ever to believe that life began when the man of the house arrived home. Mm -hmm. We didn't wait for dad. It was his job now to catch up with us. And I just thought that was a beautiful lesson of not only Michelle knowing and understanding her value, but helping her young girls to understand their value as well. You know, if yes. you, you have a particular goal or something that you need to do, you don't need to necessarily wait for a man to mm-hmm. have that happen. Um, go ahead and stick to your schedule and identify your routine, and he'll come along. He will come around. So I, I thought that mm-hmm. was just great. Great lesson about knowing your worth. For sure. And another thing that I loved about that particular part in the story is that, you know, she talked about um, there being a disparity in Barack's perception (laughs) of time. (laughs) And so she said, you know, on my way for him, I'm on my way, um, was a state of mind, not a geographic location. I'm on my way was the product of Barack's eternal optimism (laughs) so it made me think like the next time i'm late to something and someone's like like why are you late i'm like this is a product of my eternal optimism let me know how well that goes right right right. let me know let me know sometimes you think like successful people kind Mm -hmm. of have have it all together but um but just through hearing you know those those stories about you know some of the things that they were able to manage through their relationship um it shows you just like again like i said you just never know like because you're Mm -hmm. only seeing that highlight reel right um 
And I used to believe that too. I honestly believe that, you know, if people who are really successful, like they've got everything down pat, like, you know, to the T. Um, and the more I, I learned and the more I understood, the more I realized that successful people are extremely disciplined mm -hmm. uh, because they're continually working on themselves. They're working yes. on their craft. They're working on their gifts. Um, there's even a portion in the book where Michelle talks about how she's um, going through her feedback from mm -hmm. the times where she's on camera. Yes. And um, that really made an impression upon me because I think a lot of people tend to think that those who are extremely gifted, oh, they just have it. They don't They don't have to practice. You know, that's just right. in them. Um, yeah. But you still have to continually work on your gift. Um, even down to sports and, and basketball, you know, they mm -hmm. have to continue to practice. They have to shoot hoops. You know, they have to do all those things in order to be successful. Um, it may still be a gift, but it's something that has to be perfected and managed um, so that it can be enhanced over time. Oh, yeah, for sure. No, that's... that. Um that was also, well, so she calls that particular part an intervention. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, and so, uh, you know, just all about her her body language. Yeah. Um, like, when, when basically one of Barack's campaign managers brought her in and played her speech to her mm -hmm. on mute and let her see and just, like, you know, coaching them along coaching her you know along the way and for her like I love the way she said like you know it wasn't like nothing that I did on the campaign tr trail was a problem mm -hmm. until it was a problem yeah right um, but like you said you know just being open to to the feedback and and perfecting whatever that gift is because again you know she is just so eloquent and very like down to earth um, but it took <laughs> it took yeah. her um, some some training and, and some practice and, like I said, some coaching to really figure out how to to present herself um, in a certain way such that um, there wouldn't be certain perceptions about her in the public. And actually, we're, we're going to talk about that a little bit more um, in just a moment. But first, I have another question for you because while we're talking about Michelle and that political journey mm -hmm. um, were there any aspects of her like career journey or I should say any other aspects of her political journey or her career journey that stood out to you yes also in the becoming us portion of the book uh, Michelle says I knew the stereotype I was meant to inhabit mm. the immaculately groomed doll wife with the painted on smile gazing bright eyed at her husband as if hanging on every word. This was not me <laughs> and never would be. I could be supportive, but I couldn't be a robot. And I am so thankful that she was not. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> you know, you think about how many young ladies look to her as a role model today, and I believe that so much of that is because she wasn't afraid to just be herself, um, even down to this uh, beautiful gift that she gave us in the form of a book. You mm -hmm. know, it's okay to be you. And honestly, I think that's the way you can help people the most when you're authentic and you can bring your full self to the table, um, not trying to be like someone else. And that's where you find your purpose, uh, when you're able to discover your own individuality and what you can contribute um, instead of trying to imitate others. That's when you can find your calling and really dig deep. Yeah, I, I I think Michelle, really just through being her authentic self, helped to elevate 
the way that we as black women see ourselves Mm -hmm. because no matter what you saw yourself in her you know what I mean like she just she just like took that person who like I know we affectionately call her like Auntie Michelle and all these things but she took that person that you know you saw as maybe your aunt your sister your cousin maybe even one of your best friends and she just elevated that imagery in in every dimension from you know from her style to the way that she spoke another thing too that I I will say about kind of that the image um, that she you know had to uphold and being on the campaign trail and um, just really having to maintain that like self-awareness and her confidence and really be strong because she also encountered um so many uh, misconceptions and false depictions of her. And uh, one of the stories that stood out to me is when um, she talks about how Fox News called her Obama's baby mama. Um, And uh, she, she describes it saying that it, you know, conjured cliched notions of black ghetto America implying an otherness that put me outside even my own marriage. Mm -hmm. And so for me, like, I'm looking at that and I'm thinking, like, again, like, no matter how accomplished um, you are, some ignorant people will still try to assert these inaccurate labels Mm -hmm. on you and to diminish you. And, um, And I think that that specific label that they used is something that would only happen to a black woman. Mm, so it, so, so it really, yeah, it, was, it really broke my heart to think that, like, I mean, I know she went through a lot, but the fact that they would even, you know, uh, try to diminish, like, her marriage in that yeah. way. There's actually a, a portion in the book, too, where uh, Michelle speaks of how she always used to think she wouldn't get punched if she didn't punch first. And man, life is such a great teacher (laughs) Mm -hmm. because you soon learn um, that sometimes you you will have a jab or two come at you even when you didn't throw the first Mm -hmm. punch. And you've got to be able to handle those things. Um, In the preface of the book, I believe it is, um, Michelle says, I've smiled for photos with people who called my husband horrible names on Mm -hmm. national television but still want a framed keepsake for their mantle. And so many people don't realize it takes so much strength to be humble and bridle your tongue. Um, And I actually believe it takes more strength than speaking your mind or just lashing out uh, because there is no self-control or or discipline with that. Um, But exercising humility um, is something that's not easy. It's something that um, is perfected over time. And it's something that's necessary um, because you've got to keep your eye on the long-term goal and not completely ruin something uh, with something that can come out of your mouth and you can't ever take it back. Yeah, I think actually that is a great segue Perfect. <laughs> um, in, um, into uh, the next section of the book um, that we're going to talk about. So, I mean, like you said, that strength that she exib- exhibited. So we'll, we'll move on to Becoming More, um, which is the section of the book where basically Michelle shares all the stories um, about what the Obamas experienced once um, Barack is elected president. 
And um, I, I will say I love how she began the chapter um, or that section um, saying that there is no handbook for incoming first ladies of the United States. It's not technically a job, nor is it an official government title. It comes with no salary and no, um, no spelling out set of obligations. And then, um, you know, as she, she kind of starts to talk about her journey and you kind of start to see the progression mm -hmm. of how she sees the role. Um, and so uh, another quote that I love, we're using lots of quotes because <laughs> we're using lots of quotes this episode because, I mean, the book is just so rich. I don't know about you, but I want to get it right. <laughs> right, right, exactly. I mean, I'm like, I don't, yeah, exactly. It's like, I don't want to mess it up. I feel um, like I don't want to paraphrase Mrs. Obama. That's right, not something right. I want to do. No. Exactly, mm -hmm. exactly. No. Um, <laughs> so um, another point, she starts talking about this role as first lady, and she says, a first lady's power is a curious thing as soft and undefined as the role itself. And yet I was learning to harness it. I had no executive authority. I didn't command troops or engage in formal diplomacy. Tradition called for me to provide a kind of gentle light, flattering the president with my devotion, flattering the nation primarily by not challenging it. I was beginning to see, though, that Wielded carefully, the light was more powerful than that. I had influence in the form of being something of a curiosity, a black first lady, a professional woman, a mother of young kids. People seemed to want to dial into my clothes, my shoes, and my hairstyles, but they also had to see me in the context of where I was and why. I was learning how to connect my message to my image, and in this way, I could direct the American gaze. Now, um, throughout becoming more, she, um, you know, begins to kind of take us on this journey of the different initiatives that she was able um, to uh, put into place during her time there, during her eight years <laughs> in office. So I'm just going to quickly highlight before we dive in, you know, the four specific initiatives that she was able to lead. So the first one is, and the reason why I want to talk about this is because, like she said, technically she didn't really have <laughs> like a, a, a job description, um, but, but the fact that she was proactive and found things that she was passionate about and was able to actually, you know, make a difference. So the first one is a um, initiative called Let's Move. Do you remember that one? I that do. Was good. No, <laughs> um, which encouraged kids to eat healthier and to be more active. Um, the second initiative that she started was Joining Forces, um, which she actually partnered with Jill Biden on, and they advocated for veterans in every aspect of their lives after service to our nation. The third program was called Reach Higher, which inspired students to finish high school and seek some form of higher education. And then finally, Let Girls Learn, which she launched with President Obama to advocate for girls all across the world to have access to education. So if anybody ever says, what did Michelle Obama do? I just want you to, well. you know, have receipts. <laughs> 
she did she did all this. She did. <laughs> and it was kind of interesting just hearing her kind of talk about too how she was able to get there. Yeah. Um, with you know these these processes and, and and even some of the uh, contention that she faced and um, but still you know was able to I think be a extremely effective um, first lady. So. Were there any moments that stood out to you about her journey? Yeah, so I loved where she says, um, I was learning how to connect my message to my image. Mm -hmm. And then she follows that with, if reporters and television cameras wanted to follow me, then I was going to take them places. Mm. And I said, you go ahead, Michelle. Okay, take us. (laughs) Take us. (laughs) I thought that was so great because she realized all right now i've got this platform people are gonna watch Mm -hmm. if you're gonna look let me give you something to look at yes you know um here's how we can help improve the diets of our children here's how we can help our veterans here's what we can do in terms of education and she did it so beautifully and so gracefully so I, i thought that was just absolutely incredible oh yeah and i also love to um when you know um how she is very um transparent about the fact that she really didn't consider herself to be very stylish Mm -hmm. um but she realized when she became first lady that all women who are in the public eye have some some type of stylist um and there was also you know a a double standard between her platform Mm -hmm. and her image Mm -hmm. as a fashion icon um like i i remember when she shares about she you know goes to this school in um in London mm-hmm. and ends up giving this heartfelt speech because she saw herself in all of these little girls. And so she gives this beautiful speech and then she finds out later that the first question that one of the reporters asks is what was she wearing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um and uh even as as some I now I love fashion like, yes absolutely love it yes um nothing like a good pair of heels and a clutch to go with it <laughs> um but you know there comes a, a, a time there's a time and a place for everything right right you know and um just to hear that the reporter was more interested in something that was vain and, and materialistic and and not as focused on the speech it's like man come on you know what's yeah. what's lasting here right uh, what's going to be here when she leaves right uh, when that outfit walks out the door what what's left and right. of course that's the message you want people to get but um i think she was brilliant enough to realize okay people are going to look at the way I dress and the way I present myself. So let me connect that with my message and use it to my advantage. Yeah. And she talked about too, how like she had to be conscious of the types of things that she wore Mm -hmm. and you know, how she would mix like high end with more affordable things. She shopped at Target. That's my girl. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And also how she, you know, really also wanted to support American designers and um but you know i will say what she faced is something that i know that a lot of women in general face in the pub when they're in the public eye i remember was it i feel like it was a couple years ago one of the um there was like a movement going on on the red carpet where basically like the women were um were basically taking a stand against all the reporters asking them who like mm-hmm. what what are you wearing mm-hmm. even you know at work i feel like a lot of times 
women, it, we tend to dress up a little bit more <laughs> than men. Well, I guess it all depends on your particular career, but depending on the setting, mm-hmm. I feel like women usually will still try to like take it up a notch. Mm-hmm. Not to generalize. Now there are some sharp dressed right. men as well. So, yes. but I'm just saying, like I think, but I think subconsciously mm-hmm. for us, like even if, like let's say you go to some work function and they say, oh well, it's it's casual. Now, in your mind, you're like, it's casual. That means it's, business casual. Right, right yes. exactly. You're like, okay, right, exactly. Like, 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 like that's yes. how our minds work. Like, casual, like, like as in people are going to be there in jeans? Like, well, okay, so everybody's wearing jeans. Hmm. <laughs> if, like, okay, if everybody's wearing jeans, I'm still going to put on a cute blouse. Something. You know, You know, like, we just always, our minds are always turning. How can we plus it up and I, I think that's just like inherent in women because we know how um, you know how people unfortunately will judge us based mm-hmm. on our image so and then for black women it's a whole oh, <laughs> another yes. story which uh, you know so which I think again Michelle just did an excellent job um, addressing how she was able to balance that out Um in, in the public eye. Another um, thing that we talked a little bit about was uh, comparison. Yes, so, Lord, yes. <laughs> so I know you're really passionate about yes. that, so I'll, I'll let you take the lead on that conversation. Yes. Um, so Michelle says in uh, Becoming More, as a kid, you learn to measure long before you understand the size or value of anything. Eventually, if you're lucky... You learn that you've been measuring all wrong. And this is so fundamental and critical for me because even as adults, we mm-hmm. do it, right? Yes. You know, um, who, who's making more money than me or mm-hmm. who's got this degree and, you know, why did they get the promotion and, and I didn't do it. Uh, but it's it's very critical to know who you are and, for me, whose you are. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. Because once you're focused on that, you, you don't worry about everything else. And when I say who you are, it's it's amazing to me, though, how some people still tie who they are to uh, the number of degrees they have or how big their house is or what kind of car they drive. But you've got to dig down to the essence of who are you without all of these things that are fleeting. Who mm-hmm. is that person? Right. Because that's the one that could really make an impact with or without all these other things that are going to be left here when we leave this earth, right? So um, I, I just thought that was so good. And um, a few years ago, someone once said to me, and I never forgot it, but they said, comparison is the thief of joy. Mm-hmm. I said, wow, that is so true. Um, because if you're always focusing on the next person and what this person has and, you know, the next thing they're doing, you're never going to reach your full potential trying to catch up to somebody else. Yeah. And, you know, I think, too, um, it's kind of interesting how God will, like, use different people to accomplish certain things. And I think that one of the reasons why, like, Michelle was so perfect for um for the role that she took on is because it was something that she didn't want Mm -hmm. um and you know when you look a lot of times even in the bible some of the people that you know god promotes um they usually (laughs) don't want it yeah um and so i think that because 
in her life, you know, she came from very humble beginnings. And while she did, yes, she went to an Ivy League school. Yes, she was a um, very successful lawyer and she went on to achieve so many different things in her career. But ultimately, she was always connected to who she was and she always understood that those things didn't define her. That's right. And um, and so when it came to, you know, being a political spouse, that's not something that she ever <laughs> wanted yeah. to do. Um, and so that's why I think it made her that perfect person, because then once she got into that role, it was like, OK, well, I'm here now. Mm-hmm. So what can I do to, you know, it, it gave her that scope of like, OK, now that I'm here how can I impact the nation? How can I impact our next generation? So, And because she knew who she was, it didn't change her. Exactly. Yeah, that's so important. Certain platforms, you know, you can't really do anything with them until you have a really great understanding of who you are. Because if not, the platform will be so large that it will engulf you and overtake you and change the essence of who you are. And um, I'm so glad um, that's not who Michelle was. Yeah, I mean, even at the beginning of the book, uh, you hear... Well, I think it it may have been even, like, right before, you know, uh, she officially begins, um, that she talks about, like, she's at home in Chicago, and she's home alone, and she made a grilled cheese sandwich. I'm pretty sure she was so happy about it. Right, I'm just like, okay, you know. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, again, just like you said, she, she was able to not lose herself. And another thing too, which she uh, talks a lot about is she made sure that her girls were okay as well, which, um, you know, obviously they're still young, but I think, um, they were so successful at like guarding them and yet also still allowing them to, to grow up, to be the young women that they were. Um, and so, so yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's kind of it's kind of full circle because I'm excited to see you know whether I don't know whether they'll choose to be in the public eye in any mm-hmm. realm. I mean, they might you know <laughs> choose to to stay low you know since uh, you know all most of their um, adolescence and childhood they were in that public eye. But again, just the way that her and Barack were so careful in guarding them, I think that you know they were able to raise them up to know who they were to mm-hmm. as well like outside of the white house in fact i think um by the well malia graduated high school mm-hmm. uh while they were still like mm-hmm. in you know in the office they were wrapping up and i know like i heard michelle talking about how she was on a gap year and like they were still living in the white house but she was like so <laughs> like yeah. somewhere else just you know far away and um and then there was a story she told about sasha that made me laugh because it was like, um, well, you know, the the Obamas loved music. Yeah. And so uh, they, you know, so they would have all kinds of um, guests. And uh, at one point they had like... Paul McCartney there from from the you know from the Beatles and it's like even if you don't like listen to the Beatles like you know who that is Absolutely. right like iconic yeah. and so like she she like went to, <laughs> to ask Sasha like Paul McCartney's downstairs and she was like uh like do you want to go see her she's like please mom no and I'm just like wow okay well <laughs> As kids will typically right, do, right? right. Like, you know. you know, so so clearly, you know, again, they were just raising her right. Like, she was mm-hmm. so unbothered um, <laughs> by who was downstairs. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so um, another thing, too, that she talked about 
um, is just how as first lady you see things in extremes mm. and um, remember when she was like talking about the school in Chicago and um, how she you know went to uh, went to basically talk to them and um, and just really dig into to that community and what was happening there and the story that she told about 80 degrees and sunny do you want to talk a little bit more about that yeah that absolutely broke my heart when I read it oh my goodness um so the story goes you know 80 degrees and sunny everyone in the circle began nodding ruefully and Michelle says I wasn't sure why and the story goes on tell Mrs. Obama she said, this is one of the social workers, what goes through your mind when you wake up in the morning and hear the weather forecast is 80 and sunny? She clearly knew the answer, but wanted me to hear it. A day like that, the Harper students all agreed was no good. When the weather was nice, the gangs got more active mm -hmm. and the shooting got worse. And, man, I can only imagine... Uh, the amount of uh, somewhat responsibility that she felt in that moment. Um, and then she goes on to say, you know, it was possible I knew to live on two planes at once, to have one's feet planted in reality, mm -hmm. but pointed in the direction of progress. You got somewhere by building that better reality, if at first only in your mind. Mm -hmm. Or as Barack had put it that night, you may live in the world as it is, but you can still work to create the world as it should be. And so nobody can, can fix everything, right? Mm -hmm. Each person is an individual. But I love her commitment to at least working towards progress. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, the, the story just, just broke my heart because, unfortunately, that's the reality for a lot of children, a lot of people. Yeah. Like, that's that's their norm. Yeah. Um, dysfunction is the norm right. for them. And um, in that situation, there's nothing they could do about it. Um, but Michelle realized, you know what, I may not be able to change everything, but here's what I can do. Here's right. what what's within my power to do. And um, I respect her for it. Oh, yeah. I love, you know, even that there was, like, when the student asked her, like, hey, like, it's it's nice that you're here and all, but, like, yes. what are you actually going to do about this? And she was, you know, very candid with him and basically let her know, let, you know, them all know that nobody from D.C. is going to come and save you, you know, anytime soon. So, but like you said, still being able to motivate them. And then I know she actually did end up inviting, like, a few of the students um, to be able to come to the White House. Yeah. And so um, I think just kind of throughout her um, story, you just see her always having that that lens and never forgetting um, her community right. and um, and just how she can, again, have that impact. And even when she um, took that career swerve um, and, you know, went from being a successful lawyer to working in nonprofit making less than half mm -hmm. um, and um, just again always keeping that at the forefront that is one I think theme that I really loved that you heard throughout her story for sure absolutely well <laughs> we you know <laughs> we've talked about a lot <laughs> enjoyed it though. Uh, yeah you know it's it's always hard to um because there are so many just um again so many rich stories 
that she shares and at the end of the day when when you read this book like you're gonna have um, things that resonate with you in very unique ways so for me it's been fun this season to just sit down and talk to different women and see which stories um, really impacted you or inspired you so I appreciate you um, coming on the Brown Girl Radiance Thank podcast. Thank you for having me. And uh, again, if you haven't read the book, <laughs> go get a copy. Go go read the book or listen to the audio. Yes. That's what I did. I will say, what I realized is because I listened to the audio book twice. When I go like to the book to you know cross reference um, certain quotes etc. It's like the words literally just jump off the pages at me like um, you know because. <laughs> Yeah. Because I, you know, I, I have um, that familiarity with having heard it. Yeah. and um, But, yeah, it's just, I mean, it's just a beautiful Yeah, and I imagine that book. way, you know, you get to hear the story in her own words, yes. from her own voice, yes. which is nice, too. It's like it's like a date with Auntie Michelle. Like, <laughs> tell me a story. No. <laughs> but, but, no, seriously, um, love the book. Yeah. Love having you on here. and. We will chat again soon. Yes. Be blessed, everybody. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of Brown Girl Radiance Podcast, please share it with a friend so that we can continue to celebrate and shine together. Brown Girl Radiance Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, CastBox, iHeartRadio, and Pandora. If you want to stay connected to Brown Girl Radiance Podcast, you can follow me on Instagram at Brown Girl Radiance Podcast. You can feel free to email me at Brown Girl Radiance Podcast at gmail.com.